Welcome to another Green Section podcast series episode. I'm your host, Adam Miller, Northeast Region Agronomist and Director of the Education Outreach Program. I'm really excited about this episode. You know, labor challenges and equipment challenges are uh, on everybody's minds. So I thought it would be good to actually look at what's new with autonomous mowers, talk to two early adopters, Bjarne Hannesson and Erwin Lockock, both guys in Europe who have been using autonomous mowers a lot at their golf courses, um, and touch on some of the benefits and challenges uh, of, of these pieces of equipment and really what the future holds. So here's the conversation with both Bjarne and Erwin. Barney, thanks so much for taking the time out of your uh, busy schedule to join us today and talk about robotic mowers. Uh, you've got a, a fantastic background uh, using robotic mowers at Mass Golf Club, and obviously you've been in the golf industry for a while and, and actually spent some time in the States working and, and been around a lot of high-end golf. Uh, so it's uh, we're really excited to have you on the, the episode and to talk about autonomous mowers. So what are you using autonomous mowers for at Nest Golf Club? You know, what, what kind of mowers do you have? Are they fully or semi-autonomous? Um, you know, what areas are you maintaining them and, and how many robots do you have? Well, we're, we've been using the, uh, the auto mowers from, uh, Husqvarna, Husqvarna, that's how you pronounce them yeah, Husqvarna. in the U.S. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have a different pronunciation for it over here, but, uh, yeah, we've been using the automores from them, and initially just in the trial settings, um, we started off on our own just as a club. We just picked up one mower to see how it would, would work in, um, in a golf setting. I had been using them in, in uh, home lawn settings for a number of people, and I was, was a bit, bit surprised by the quality and how well they worked in that environment, so we just wanted to trial it on a golf course, and we obviously thought of rough mowing to begin with uh, and placed one mower there. And then following that, we were... Uh, approached by uh, Nibio, who are doing uh, the RoboGolf research project, which is found, uh, funded by uh, STURF, the Scandinavian Turf and Environmental Research Foundation. <laughs> That's a long name there. Um, but yeah, so my uh, experience with autonomous mowers has been with, with the small mowers, the, um, the mowers that sort of come out of commercial you know, uh, mowing, but we've been seeing... Um, well, they've been surprising me how, how useful they've been in, in a golf setting, which I uh, I wasn't sure about when I started. Uh, you know, we were just doing this as a test just to see how it would go. So that's my experience with the autonomous mowers. I haven't been working with the GPS, the big ones, uh, where you have your real mowers with GPS settings. I haven't been, uh, I haven't had the opportunity to play with them yet. So what areas on the course are you, are you testing them out? Well, we started in the roughs, um, but then we um, did trial them on a fairway part and currently we have uh, half a fairway being mowed uh, with a with an autonomous mower and then half of it is real mode that's part of the the research that we're doing and then we have uh, uh, test plots and you know triple replica test plots and we're rating them but we also have a, a rough area that we're maintaining and, and we're comparing that with the uh, your traditional rotary rough mowers yeah roughs and fairways uh, is where we've been using them and we have a bit of an interesting uh, landscape on, on the course. That we, it's a relatively flat course, but the problems that we have here where I'm located, uh, we have a long winter period with a lot of freeze-thaw cycles. So we have a lot of uh, frost lift uh, on our fairways. So you can have a section, you know, a couple of feet wide circle that has, uh, you know, a dent down by, I don't know, 8, 10 inches. We have 
parts of our fairways where our real mowers really struggle to get into it and you actually have to take a string mower out there every now and then and, and you know cut them back it was interesting to see how they the autonomous mowers which are effectively rotary mowers you know they use small discs uh, with uh, small blades on them they're about nine inch width the cutting width of them so we were interested to see how they would deal with such you know even not you know no no uh, undulation is not the right word, but if you know what I mean, it's uh, you know dents and dips and stuff like that that are not really, you know, how, how would they deal with it? And I, I, to be fair, I thought they would be not good, but they turned out to be better than real mowers for that. I was a bit surprised by that, to be fair. So you're 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 testing this out in the process, I guess. Did you have to, you know, pay for the initial installation and all that kind of stuff, or is it part of the part of the research? It's part of the research. The one we were using on the fairway and the one we're using on, on uh, uh, yeah, the, the research stuff is actually financed through uh, Sturf, so they do the main financing. Um, Husqvarna, <laughs> they're the, they are the, um, uh, they actually do supply them into the research project. We didn't have to pay for them, we just got them and, and then we uh, give our ratings back. Everyone seems like, you know, cost and the number, how many, you know, on a large scale, would you potentially need? And that's that's always sort of top of mind for superintendents. And, you know, it's always interesting when you compare the cost of a, a traditional, you know, brand new fairway reel mower in the States, you know, that's that's a pretty high-end luxury vehicle um, comparing mm-hmm. to cars. So, um, yeah, the, the cost of these is always a question that I think some superintendents have. The, the cost thing is also, it's not as easy a question to answer as you would think it is because it will depend on what, kind of establishment you were running because I mean the, the number of mowers that you will need actually depends on the mowing window that you allow yourself you know if you allow yourself to have mowers running 24 salmon which you you can probably do and justify on the sort of low end or a uh, low end uh, side of golf then you would you will need far fewer mowers on the other hand if you're just going to give yourself an eight hour you know frame just during the night to mow and then just having them out of sight uh, for the main part of the day, then you're going to need three times more mowers for that. So if if you're using this approach, so for example, for us, we have looked at this and we will we would need for our fairways around twelve of these mowers, and that's actually cheaper than buying uh, a real mower for that size. You know, that's nine hole for nine holes. So you, you have one real mower for that. That's more expensive. However, if our members say, no, 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 we don't like to be seeing these mowers. But mind you, I'm bright sunlight here 24 hours. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't have a dark period for them to mow in. But if we just want to have them out, you know, 12 hours of the day, then that's going to double the cost. And then real mowers are actually cheaper to buy the initial purchase price. But then you obviously don't have the, the manpower and um not a lot of moving parts either so you don't you know maintenance is completely different so yeah i'm I'm glad you touched on that i I was going to ask you have you kept the same mowing schedule and you know is the same height of cut has that been changed at all you've got the two side by side areas we we haven't changed it so it it's set up uh who's going to assess is 15 millimeters but i'm i'm i think the technology behind it is harder to be very precise on the cutting heights uh, as it is with real mowers uh we found that what's supposed to be 15 millimeters, it's more like 13 millimeters. Now, what does that mean in inches? Uh, that's roughly half an inch, 13 millimeters. So we've been t- testing them out at that height, and they seem to be working fine. So we s- keep that cutting height, and then we have a regime because it's a part of a, a, a trial. We have to stick to it. 
On the other hand, the, on the mowers that we own and we're running in a rough area, there we have um, weather timers on the mowers. We don't have that set up for the te- uh, for the test. Now, weather, weather timer, what does that mean? It basically, it's a it's a, a sensor on the cutting disc, disc and it senses resistance. So if it's if it goes out and doesn't feel any resistance, it knows the grass isn't growing, so it just parks itself and, and tries to mow in you know one or two days later, which I think is a very important setting to have on your mower because we've seen certainly coming into the autumn period, we think that during the trial they've been overrunning the area. They've been going out and mowing when they don't really need to be doing it and they actually can't. We saw slightly lower quality on on our fairways, for example, coming into October, September, October time on the automower side, which I think could be, you know, wouldn't have been a problem if we just had less mowing taking place, if you like. You're on the cutting edge. You're in an early adopter for courses using these types of equipment. And you said earlier, one of the sort of motivations to try these was because of the frost heave and the, the, the pretty severe depressions you could have in some of your fairways. What, what were some of the other reasons you wanted to give them a try? Just sort of curiosity or is there a, a labor pinch or, or what, what else sort of combined to give you that motivation? We're not struggling labor-wise. Um, it's on the course I'm working at the moment. It's, it's too long of a discussion why, but <laughs> but we're just not suffering that. What I saw from from the commercial side of it, because um, before joining there, I was actually working on my own as a, as a consultant, and and I was just approached by you know a company that was importing them and asked me to start installing them for people. I was like, okay, I'll you know whatever, you know, half a day there and here and get some extra pocket, you know, money in your pocket. And w- what I saw in the commercial side was just the, the gardens just looked the same throughout the season. There was no, you know, you could come on a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. They always, they, just, the, the product was the same. So that's what I started thinking about. On the golf side, you know how it is. You, you don't really rough, you know, mow roughs a lot during weekends and you, unless you're on a higher end places and where you have you know where you rotate your, your your staff a little bit more through the week so often we would cut you know roughs on friday and then we get the the, the rough more out on monday again and, and you know finish the last areas on tuesday and they get a bit you know scruffy and you get your clippings around you might get your blower out during the worst you know the highest growing periods of the year and once we put the automowers in they're just always mowing so my members can come and play on Sunday, Sunday evening. They can come at Sunday midnight, if you like, and play. And the rough looks exactly the same as it does on Monday, on Tuesday, or so. You know what I mean? So the quality, the product that we're delivering to the to the client is way more consistent. And that's, I think, was what drove me to try it. And I was, I was really happy with the quality because there is definitely a difference i mean i i know we greenkeepers we pick up this right away we we see the wheel marks and and because because it actually you know it's a randomized pattern that they they're using so you do pick up wheel marks and stuff like that but you also have your wheel marks in rough more roughs anyway uh, after after big ride on equipment and it's definitely different and what i saw is that yeah me as a greenkeeper i pick up on this but speaking to the golfers there's a very limited amount of them that actually pay any attention to this they don't really notice it they just want to find their ball play the ball and the consistency of what we're doing is i think more important to them you know it's finding the rough in the same condition constantly i i think that's a big big thing for us and um, we've seen a big difference there yeah consistency is that's something that we, we always hear golfers ask about. And, you know, it's really hard for superintendents to deliver consistency, especially when you consider the large acreage of rough. So interesting to hear you, you feel like clippings are really a, a non-issue in the rough areas because they're mowing so often. 
what about you know fairways? You know, mowing wet fairways with conventional conventional mowers that can be a major pain with all the clippings and having to deal with blowers and that kind of stuff. So, what have you seen there with your fairway trial? That's the again the beauty. We don't have any clipping problems because you know we often have to go out run the uh, run our turbine and, and you know blow off or whatever. And we don't have any problems like that. Also, running through the night, you don't have dew, for example. It actually runs down the dew, so uh, it, it takes care of that in, in the meantime. Uh, it's quite handy, so you get you don't have dew in the morning. Again, it's the consistency there, too, that surprised me. But the thing is, though, when you're mowing lower and lower high cut high grass, obviously, then you can't, you, you can't put them out in as big an area as they're marketed for. You know, they're marketed for about, they say about 5,000 yeah, square meter, half right. a hectare. That's about 1.3 acres, if I'm right on the conversion here. Yeah, so you can't do that on a fairway. You would have to half that so it could keep up with what's going on. And even if you run, if you're growing really quickly, and it might be less than that, but one more can handle. But it does it quite well. And, and again, visually... You don't have your stripes and all that, and I, I, I get that. Being a greenkeeper, I like the, the real mowing, you know, the look, you know, how it sets down. But again, the ball sits quite well on this grass. And um, through the summer months, we were rating those plots. We were rating them pretty much exactly the same as real mown parts uh, of, the, of the fairway. And it surprised me. And look, I mean, looking at the quality, if you take if you take the quality of golf courses in the world, you would say like 50% and, and down. That market, it seems to me to be a bit of a no-brainer that these more will be ex- way more than acceptable for that. I don't see them coming into the high end, uh, to be fair. But certainly for the mass of golf, they seem to be doing a pretty good job. I did not think that. <laughs> if, if you would have asked me before I tried it, I was like, no, nah, that's not going to work. But uh, I've been a bit surprised by it. Obviously, you spending time over in the U.S. Uh, and working even at a, a senior tour event uh, when you were over here, you know the level of conditioning and the expectations that superintendents in the U.S. have. And it's interesting to hear you say you feel like that the, the, at the 50% divide of courses, that the lower tier or the, the lower half, if you will, it seems like a no-brainer. What do you think's holding back the higher end courses from from maybe looking into this technology, I think it's got to do well. Why I'm saying I'm saying that a bit of as a greenkeeper because you know how it is, and on higher end you're just looking for certain you know ultra high details about all sorts of stuff, and and it's like if you're in, if if you if you're in the audio side of the world, you know pe- people still love to put a vinyl record on, right? <laughs> and you see what I mean? It's a bit of a retro thing, and 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 it's got a bit of a you know that look, those striping or or non-striping or whatever. You know, you know what I mean. I think I think I could be wrong here, but I I just don't see that look being transferred into the high end market. How high up the market these autonomous mower will go? I mean, they might be sitting at fifty percent. They might be sitting at eighty percent. I don't know. They they I've I've been blown away by the quality because um, they actually do cut grass quite well. Like the quality of cut is good. It's just the after cut appearance is different. I don't know how much people know about them. They basically have a, a like a small razor blade that is on uh, what do you call centrifuge. I mean, it's they're not screwed in there, so it's an impact thing. So if it hits something, it bounces back, similar to your uh, many of your fly mow um, fly mowing equipment that you have hover mowers. So the quality. Off the cut, so how they actually cut the blade, and and if you go out 
you know, once every two, maybe three weeks, two weeks, and change those blades, which takes two and a half minutes, less than that, they actually cut great. So that's not the problem. It's just that after-cut appearance. I don't think it's going to go in the high-end high market. Um, could be wrong, but... <laughs> You know, you you talk striping and, and the the visual appearance of a golf course, and and you know some courses like absolutely want that that ultra striped up look, and then there's others. At least there's a trend. Maybe maybe sort of more the classic golf courses that really like a little more quieter look. You know, the half and half uh, cut. You know, I I yeah, it'll be interesting to see where where it goes. Certainly with the labor challenges and the equipment challenges that we're faced with right now. Um, you know, paying for that aesthetic is interesting. I mean, there are obviously there are obviously autonomous. You know, you we we might be switching autonomous on that as well. I mean, we always already have your John Deere. You have your Toro now purchasing turf links, and and um, uh, so the so the big big three are definitely well, two of them at least so far have uh, invested in that technology. You know, making their big machines autonomous uh, it's it's just going to be a very interesting thing how the the market goes because if the market if a large section of the market accepts the the small autonomous ones you know the the, the robomo sort of types who's going on thing how is that going to affect the real industry you know the real production industry how is that going to affect it um that's another something for the economists <laughs> to have a look at i don't know it's an interesting i think we're in an interesting period right now yeah, we definitely are, and I, I, it's an exciting period. That's that's for sure. When we think about you know the the robo mowers, the Husqvarna ones that that you're using, you know, how have it how's it gone with respect to you know maintenance? You mentioned taking the the mower or taking the blades off takes like two minutes, um, but servicing the this technology and what do you have the ability to just repair everything yourself, or does it have to be sent off to back to the manufacturer? Um, you know, what, t talk to me a little bit about that. Well, the maintenance is, for most parts, quite simple. Um, it, it, it will depend a little bit on, on your situation and, and uh, like how much grass built up is under them because you have to go out there every now and then, tip them over, you know, just wipe off some of the grass built up that's taking place there. Um, obviously, changing your blades is the most routine thing you have to do. But like I say, it's super simple. It, it's just a screwdriver and, and, you know, anyone can do it. It's the build-up thing you need to take care of. There are brush kits that you might have to swap out in and out. Um, there have been instances where we had a little bit, you know, we're using, the ones we're using is still on the wire technology where you have a wire around, a loop wire. Obviously, the, the, the GPS technology is something that, to me, is, you know, you, if, if you're thinking about this in golf environment, go for the GPS technology. It's, it's going to solve so many problems. It's a much smarter technology to use. Yeah, I mean, just with like with the big mowers, they can't. I mean, we had one small thing broke off, and it was. It took us a little while figuring out, and we ended up taking it up to the uh, uh, to the dealer, and they just hooked up a computer, and they sort of noticed what was the problem. But if you look at these mowers and you break them down, there's very few parts in them, and your most expensive thing to replace is, I don't know, battery or. There's not a you know I mean, an entire new mower, and here's the good thing about it: it's like having in stock one or two mowers sitting in the shed. It's not that expensive compared to having an extra, uh, you know, five gang real mower, if you know what I mean. So, so if you have a problem, it's so easy to just go out, swap it in, take the broken one, take it in. You know, if you need to do your adjustments, that's fine. Leave it in the shelf, and then if something breaks down, take it, swap it out. It's quite simple. 
I'm not saying it's a maintenance-free world. Absolutely not. It's completely different, and but hasn't really been a problem for us so far. But I mean, mind you, we're we're working with relatively new stuff. Obviously, I mean, if you had a real mower that's two or three year old, then that's not going to be a major problem. Mostly, it makes sense from you know with this this technology really was it seemed like geared more towards the commercial landscape market where your your you know your average homeowner isn't going to be able to do some of the same you know intense maintenance that uh, an equipment technician at a golf course could do. So um, really interesting stuff there. I wanted to get your take on on this. I, I've certainly seen it. Uh, anytime we've you know developed an article um, or even a video that that mentions autonomous mowers uh, and it's thrown out on on social media, Facebook in particular, uh, we get a lot of interesting feedback from you know sort of golfers or not people in the industry saying, well, that's going to lead to you know fewer jobs on the golf course and fewer you know fewer people being employed by the golf course, which it's always interesting because we're dealing with the massive labor challenges right now in the U.S. And like you mentioned earlier, you're not dealing with that. That is a discussion we should have as to how come you don't have the, the labor issues. You're lucky there. It's a very specific reason. but <laughs> Very specific reason. Um, so I guess, you know, to get to the question, in your experience, you know, have courses that have, you know, implemented large-scale robotic mowing programs, are they reducing their staff or does it just free up you know the maintenance team to take care of to care of both things i'd be surprised if courses are are scaling back their staff um when they get the robotic mowers but wanted to hear, get your take well I, there's one course here in iceland has gone well, fully robotic on um wow actually they're fairways <laughs> but what they did it, it's a uni golf course called Brøterholt golf course um and uh there they just mow everything as a fairway and then you have wild areas outside of that um and they have a mute fleet coming in there yeah i think i mean to be absolutely fair they're doing it partly because they were struggling manpower wise and um eh, so it it made it possible to to have fewer people's in there but i mean to be absolutely fair this debate about technology taking jobs away and all that i mean we have our, autonomous irrigation system right we we don't run around with hoses anymore and no one would go back to those days uh, you know things just change um technology i mean if you look at just not just golf you just look at technology if you go back well we have to go before covid but 2019 i guess never in the history have uh, more people been employed on the earth as we were at that at that point and that's that's percentage wise not just by population and we have more way more people Technology tends to lead to different jobs and then different, you know, stuff we don't think about. And so to be absolutely fair, you're never going to get, you know, because golf is a part art, part science kind of a job. You're always going to have your higher, you know, your better educated part, you know, or educated or experienced, you know, I mean, people who are, that's, I think, what will, will happen more. There might be fewer jobs. Sure, they're not never going to disappear. No, they're never going to do. Uh, and certainly with the autonomous, I mean, I I like that because I, I haven't gone fully autonomous on the course, but I like also the point you were mentioning. You have way more time for detailing, and we know as greenkeepers, you're never done. Yeah, there's always something. <laughs> on our job, there's always something else you can do. So you you can always shift sources, and if you shift into autonomous mowers, you're never gonna 
let 50% you know what I mean it's if, if it's going to be fewer people it's going to be one or two you know what I mean it's just you know taking down to a certain level but then we start producing maybe more quality more you know sustainable you know, like a, a consistent quality and we will settle at that point with a certain amount of staff members for sure so I'm I'm not that con- concerned about it staff level wise and we and most people are struggling staff levels I just happen to be on a golf course it doesn't but most people, if you go around the world, that's the same problem everywhere. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, kind of an interesting question here, but are your would you describe your autonomous mowers as, you know, sort of well behaved? And and by that I mean, have you had issues with you know them breaking irrigation heads or getting stuck or you know mowing the wrong area, a- anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I've had one that was ran out into a close to a pond every now and then. It's just a setup thing. You change your, you know, your boundary and get rid of that problem. There are always going to be certain amount of problem. I know that Pareto uh, Golf Course, for example, they they um, they have twelve holes, so they installed I think about thirty of them, and then they realize, you know, they set them up and then realize, okay, that area doesn't quite handle it, or there we have a mower sliding into a bunker or whatever. There is a learning curve to them. There's definitely a setup time period where you have to just accept that, you know, for the first season or two, it's going to take a little time detailing the area that they're supposed to work in and, and, and what works. There's a lot of things that, you know, it's not a thing you just throw them out and forget them. You know, you have to be on top of things, but it frees up a lot of hours so you can actually get, <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you can go out and do it, but definitely don't expect them to be a simple you know, plug and play and walk away. It's not going to be that way. So you, the units you're using, you're, you've got buried wires to set the perimeters. How difficult, you know, was that install? You know, how much wire was requi- required? You know, did, did any issues with that wiring interfering with irrigation wiring and that kind of stuff? They can actually be, you can actually put them on top of the ground and you can just pin them on the top of the ground and then grass grows over them gradually. And, you know, after a month, you it's actually difficult to find the wire. You know, I'm always surprised by that. <laughs> but you can also bury them if you like with uh, wire burying ma- machines. It's not very hard to put them out. And it's quite simple. And you got to remember, we, this is a technology that has been around since 1995, I think. Uh, that's when um, the first automowers came on the market. There's a, a lot of companies making them. Very few can actually do it at, at the cutting heights, you know, required for fairways. But for roughs, there's a lot of companies that make them, and um, they're tailored to, you know, your average Joe going out and, and installing them on their own. No, it's not. I mean, get a coffee, biscuits, watch a 15-minute YouTube video, and you can go out and do it. It's it's not a massive problem, but. Like I say, for golf environments, all the obvious problems with wires is when you're doing your aeration work or whatever. Even golfers, you know, hitting the wire and chopping it. I would always go for the, uh, the GPS system that they have nowadays because you just go out, draw up the, uh, you drive the, the robot in your, on your phone, you just draw up the areas that you like. And the, and, the, and the cool thing about the GPS technology nowadays is that you can, you can have an area that the mower is working within. And then within that area, you can have 20 sub areas and they can have different cutting heights. So you can actually let the same mower, you know, do a fairway section, moving into a semi rough, moving into a full rough. And that's so easy to do. And also we have the GPS, you can just change boundaries. If you see it's actually a problem, you just redraw them with the wires. You have to actually physically move them or re- either remove them or bypass them and, and, and put a new wire in. So I would actually just, to be absolutely fair, I would not 
go wire way because the technology is so good already. The GPS you're describing, that's the virtual boundary or the, you know, the exact positioning operating system. And that's, that's pretty, that works with the mowers that you've got. Yeah. It's, there's, it's not all mower manufacturers who have that available uh, as of yet. And I'm not selling anything here, but <laughs> who's going ones they they actually produce that. Um, so you basically have a, uh, people might know this from GPS spraying already, but you, you have this base station that you buy from them, um, which gives you pretty much the, the RTK um, correction code. And so it's accurate down to about, what is it, half an inch plus minus, I think it is. So it's just that technology that is way smarter in the golf environment. For, for home gardens, they're going to still use the boundary because it's way cheaper and it works. It's not a problem in the, well, it's not, not as much of a problem in, in the home garden um, section. But for the golf side, GPS is the way to go. I'm trying to picture your setup and, you know, are your mowers kept in charging stations within the maintenance building? Um, you know, what, what describe the charging stations and kind of what kind of space they take up. And They are, I, I don't know, good two, two and a half feet by about two feet. You know, they're not very large. And this is the other problem with the install. Obviously, you need to feed the electricity out there or you can get um, solar panels and, and batteries that charge them. You can, you, can, you can do that. Sometimes getting the main power out there might be, might be a problem. You know, you have to dig, dig main power like that because you're at, what, 110 watts? One, yeah, 120. You have to have that type of sort of power. So um, that can be a bit problematic, uh, especially if you going... Another problem with the wire mowers is that they can only sustain the same cutting height within, within the area they mow. They can't change their cutting heights on the fly, if you like. So that meant if you're cutting a fairway with a wired system, then you're going to be mowing towards your charging station. If you want your charging station to be outside, you know, under a tree or what, you know, something like that, then you would mow in fairway height all the way up to it, which is not ideal. So with the GPS system, you can just tell it to erase it height of cut and then go goes to the charging stations. So you can push, push your charging station further away. But they're obviously going to be out there. And again, this comes to the the establishments you're working at, do you want that to be visual? Then again, you might have your irrigation satellites. You might, you know, have charging stations around that satellite and then run two, three mowers from that area. But they are definitely going to be, to some people, a source site. To others, they don't. And I think general going public doesn't, it's not going to bother them a great deal. And plus, another question that I often get about it is like, what if a mower hits a ball or, you know, stuff like that. Now, actually, golf rules already take care of that. Because you're entitled to the lie that uh, your golf shot created, so so if if it's knocked over by a mower or pushed into the ground or you know whatever, that's you know rules say you know you, you replace your ball according to to that. I mean you could hit a you can hit a ball on your cart, right? <laughs> that's we've we've had this problem. Animal or same thing with an animal. Yeah, an animal. We've seen that on televised golf an animal goes and moves the ball or something yeah continuing sort of around the the golfer side of things I, I would think a golfer would enjoy just how quiet these mowers are compared to some traditional mowers so have you have you seen that or you know aside from the golfers are kind of scratching their heads like what's going on out there with that robotic mower um what if what if you, what kind of feedback have you gotten from golfers to begin with, people were quite interested in, in, you know, everyone is asking you a question about it, and we try to uh, obviously communicate this as well as we can. I would say 95% of it is very positive. You do get that grumpy guy who, who's having a bad round and then hits one of those mowers. Uh, it's not a daily thing, by the way. It's, it's, it's a moving target. <laughs> it's not easy to hit. They And we run them 24-7. Um, 
in the roughs, for example, that we had there, um, on the trial sites, we don't run in that long, but they're definitely uh, running when people are there. In the beginning, when the when the robot is approaching them, they don't know what to do. You can actually just put your foot in front of it, and it hits you, and then it just goes away. Um, they didn't know that to begin with, and so some were having negative things. But I, once people are more used to them, you know, I I rarely hear anything negative nowadays. It's like anything else. If it's changing out in the course, it's gonna bother someone. It's still majority of people. It's not gonna bother them that much. I would say ninety, you know, high percent. I think the safety concerns are something that is probably going to be the initial like, ooh, what happens if this, you know, people are, they're out enjoying their golf. They're, you know, maybe paying attention on, on their phone at different times or something and not not looking and yeah, suddenly a motor gets kind of close to you. But they've got, they've got the LiDAR and other sensors that it, it doesn't, it's not going to hurt anybody. It's not going to run anybody's foot over and yeah. It, it doesn't hurt anyone. And we got to remember the Swedish people in Sweden love them for their home garden. And if the Swedes like them and think they're safe for their kids <laughs> and we know for sure it's safe for their kids so they're not a problem the, the cutting disc is actually located in the center of the machine it's quite far from you to, you know to getting your fingers in there you would have to put them quite far in under the mower to actually get hit these are very lightweight blades uh, you know if they hit anything they bounce back so yeah you might get a scratch it's not going to be it's not going to be gushing blood or anything that way. You know, it's not a, it's it's not going to be causing you any any great deal of harm. Not so, yeah. So obviously, there's a there's a ton of benefits to using these. It seems like a, one that comes to mind, and we haven't touched specifically on it is just sort of the the, the cost of operating a traditional, you know, five plex fairway mower and diesel prices. You know, the we we checked this morning prices in Iceland are more than double what we pay in some some states in the U.S., Florida in particular. So um, do you think that's going to be a driving force, just sort of the, the cost of, of diesel and other things that would maybe sort of inspire people to use them? Yes, and I think also, I think another is it's just uh, environmental regulation is going to be changing you know, they, they can sometimes change quite rapidly and quite quickly. I, I, what we see government, especially here in Europe, they, they are starting, you know, the, taxation-wise, they're starting to tax heavier and heavier uh, fossil fuels. And they're giving discounts on if you're switching into electricity. So I think that also will have a big impact on it. Everyone is really just seeing how it goes with people like us who are doing trial work and seeing. There are places, I mean, have been running this for now a number of years. I know a place in Norway which has been running a fleet of 70 to 80 of these mowers for, I don't know, you know, six, seven years. And people are starting to see, okay, this actually works. And how quickly it will be adopted, I think it's going to be partly taxation, you know, things that, that are going to push us that way. I know Americans don't like hearing the word taxes. <laughs> we're, we're, we're somewhat leaning further left here in <laughs> in Europe than, than uh, America, but... It's still, I mean, it's going to happen. And when you, when you have a large market like European push that way, it's going to, it could be a domino effect. And it could happen quickly. I mean, if you just think about, if we, if we take another completely different subject, but smoking at bars. <laughs> when I was in Scotland uh, studying and everyone smoked in a bar and I thought it was going to take probably a, a solid millennia to change the Scots from you know, not being allowed to smoke in a bar. It happened over a night, it felt. So you never know what will happen with stuff like this, especially the environmental stuff. You know, it could kick off real quickly. You never know. Well, kind of along those same lines from an environmental perspective, 
you know, part of the research, the trial that you're doing with the fairway, um, I believe is looking at disease incidents. Is that, is that right? So with being able to mow all night and you mentioned earlier, you know, there's really not a do issue. What have you seen in terms of dollar spot and other disease incidents? Well, I'm, I'm located in an area that doesn't have very high, well, for some dollar spots, we're just too cold for dollar spots. So, uh, even the Scandinavian strain has been identified has been, we're, we're just slightly cold, too cold for that. So we're not struggling there. Sadly, it just so happens that the the fairway that we used and chose for the pro- project, which had a lot to do with just close to a uh, power source, um, it doesn't have a lot of disease problems on it. So uh, where we've been trialing it, we haven't seen that, that you know, the disease pressure stuff. But the the RoboGolf trial itself is actually run on about I think five other four other golf courses spread around Scandinavia, and then we have a, a test site in in Landvik in Norway, which is uh, owned by uh, NIPIO, which is the Norse Institute of Biological uh, Bioeconomy or something like that. They have a trial site. They they're they're looking at different uh, turf cut species. So so they they found on on the disease side there hasn't been a massive difference. They saw it on a colonial bands though cut at fairway heights. They were seeing a difference in takeoff patch favoring the automowers. So the automowers had lower disease uh, levels than um, than the real mown areas. But other than that, there hasn't been a massive difference. That was interesting. But it would be interesting to do this trial in in, in places where you have higher disease pressure, um, especially where you with your takeoff. And it would be very interesting to see if if running your mower through the night, hitting the dew down. Is that playing a significant role or not? It'll be interesting to have a look at that. But in our trials, we haven't seen a great deal of difference disease-wise, just because we haven't had a lot of disease, <laughs> if that makes sense. That's a good thing. I mean, it's most cases, it's it's turf pathologists are the only ones that are really hoping for, for disease, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. certainly not superintendents. So um, last question, and then I'll get you out of here. You know, what's one thing you think manufacturers can really do to improve the future of autonomous mowers? We're seeing a lot of interesting changes being, you know, going on. I know that Husqvarna is introducing a bigger mower um, that can uh, cut up to five hectares or 10 times more. That's about, what, about 12, 13 acres, uh, single mower. And it does it in, in linear fashion. Uh, those of you who are big fans of the uh, the uh, autonomous uh, vacuum mowers, you know that uh, rac- vacuum and not mowers, vacuum uh, vacuums into your home, your Roombas and the like. You know the the earlier one just randomly went around, but the the the, uh, the new ones are now actually going in pattern. So that's what they're doing. It can't be handy to have a lot of small mowers, but like, like I told you earlier, like you can have two of them sitting in your sheds. And another thing that a fact is actually how big of a facility do you need when your fleet is not in the house just through the winter months you put them into shelves so maybe it's beneficial for the market and for the to have a lot of small mowers instead of having fewer number of bigger units i don't have the answer for that one i think the industry needs to scratch their head a lot and think long and hard it's like what is where are we going with this are we going with a lot because once things are autonomous, you don't have to have, you know, you don't have to have big productivity out of one product. You know what I mean? You, you can have a lot of small ones and that can be cheaper. It can also have impact weight because what I like about these small robots is they're super light. 
So you can take them out under pretty wet conditions and they're not going to be causing any real marks or anything, you know, no problem. While if I, I have to sometimes sit in with a heavier equipment, you can't take it out, you can't cut. Everyone knows that, right? When you have to leave them in for a few days and everything is pretty hairy <laughs> once you go out there. I don't know. I, I just need to encourage the big three, for example, where are we going? What happens when 50% of mower sales go down and switch over to smaller units? And you know, what? I don't have the answers. I'm... I'm just quite keen to see what happens. <laughs> yeah, well, it it's definitely there's we're a, a cool period where there are, are more questions than answers, but I think it takes innovative folks like yourself to, you know, ask those questions and demonstrate, you know, the potential out there with different ways to to maintain a golf course. So, Barney, I, I really appreciate you taking the time uh today to talk. I know you'd mentioned you could talk autonomous mowers all day. Um so this is this has been awesome. Um, really, really looking forward to getting some feedback and, and, and hear what everyone else thinks uh, about it as well. So thanks again. Thanks for having me. Thank you. In the second half of this podcast, we have Erwin Lockock. He's the head greenkeeper and robot and technology specialist for Winston Golf, which is a cool uh, golf course in Northeast Germany. Uh, they've got two 18-hole courses and a nine-hole par three course. Irwin has been really on the cutting edge of autonomous mowers. Uh, he's had them at his golf course for quite some time uh, and has also presented uh, a few different times at the GCSAA National Conference uh, on using autonomous mowers at his course. And uh, he's gonna be in San Diego as well talking about, uh, talking about all the benefits of autonomous mowers. Well, Erwin, I'm so glad that you've been able to join us on the podcast today, uh, talking with a, a number of superintendents that have been working with autonomous mowers. They've all pointed to you as being really the, you know, the the main around everything autonomous mowers at your course. So I'd love to start with, can you give an overview of how you're using autonomous mowers um, at Winston Golf? You know, how many mowers do you have? Where are they being used? So at Winston Golf, we have um, 26 robots at the moment, uh, mainly very small unit uh, like this Varna one. Uh, we got the first one implemented on a driving range as a mower. And in a couple of months, we have another one joining it to collect the balls as well. So the driving range will be fully autonomous. We got 20 robots on the main 18 course mowing the fairway uh, every day of the week. And we got four robots on the short nine par three to mow the fairway and semir off all at once. We also had a few robots in the future as a larger unit too. So we've been demonstrating all of it. That's really impressive to have that that many robots. And you you said you're using the the smaller Husqvarna units right now for all the mowing of of those fairway areas and the rough areas. That is correct. Yeah. What's your experience with using the larger real mower fairway fairway units um, there on the course? Do you, do you have any experience with those? Yeah, we, we do have experience with uh, the John Deere, the, the Turf Links. Most of the time it's kit from different constructors, like the Toro one is a kit from another company, but it's still a Toro mower. But my main experience is with the Turf Links, which is a company from Portugal that was bought by Toro a year ago and then uh, they were electric triplex mower for fairway uh, fully autonomous driving hole to hole uh, using GPS and that was actually the best unit I've ever seen in my life 
And then so, so right now we don't really know what's going on with it. It is very, very promising. So how many years have you been experimenting with autonomous mowers at your course? Here at Winston Golf, we have the first robot for a little bit over three years now. So in, in your time, you've gone from experimenting with the robots to really diving deep. And, and with the amount of robots you have, have you changed your maintenance staff size in response to using all those robots? Or are you maintaining the same staff size as what you had previously, but just using that staff to do other tasks as opposed to, to spending a lot of time mowing? The very first idea was to maintain the same number of staff to do more tasks on the side. Turns out that every year we are losing staff a little bit after it and we cannot replace them because we just have no application. And then uh, so we maintain the same level of uh, maintenance right now with less people. The plan is to maintain the same number of people to do more. Okay, so you're, you're in the scenario that most courses are in really worldwide where it's just it's very difficult to fill positions on your maintenance staff and that's where autonomous mowers have have really helped where you know you can you can maintain the same level of conditioning can you describe the quality of cut um, that you're getting on, specifically on fairways and what height of cut you're at with those uh, with those autonomous mowers so this depends on which model you have if you use any larger mower like turflings trendy or toro they use reels anyway so you just function like an absolute normal mower. But if you start going into uh, Usvarna or smaller Rumba, they use razor sharp blades that need to be changed about every two weeks to stay sharp. And then uh, in high of cut, I'm going to use the Imperial system, the, the metric system, but uh, we are at 10 millimeter, which is, uh, I don't know that in, in Imperial, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's a little less than a half inch, 10 millimeters. Yeah, so 10 millimeters is uh, just under four hundredths of an inch. So that's that's very comparable. Obviously, that's a lot of courses in the U.S. are maintaining fairways at or slightly above that height. So that's impressive to do that with the smaller Husqvarna units that have a they're they're a rotary blade, right? Uh, they have a razor uh, blade, so they are about. Uh one inch long, they, they are ultra sharp, like a, a razor, basically, and then just pin like a rotary blade, yeah. With that many robots on the course, you know, fully maintaining the fairways in particular, have you changed, you know, when the fairways are, are mown? Are they mown through the night, or are you still doing it mostly during the day? So with that course, we are mowing 24-7. They are scheduled-less. They just Cut, 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 charge when they need, cut, cut, cut. Um, on the par three, we are trying to cut the hour to mow at night mainly because the par three, the robots tend to be more into the play then. With the next big project, which is over 100 robots, we are designing it to only mow at night. What of the golfers, uh, how is their reaction to the, seeing the robots out on the course? Describe that to me. Oh, this is a whole journey I can take you in. Uh, so the first robot we had was on a driving range. So the robot, the, the player did not have access to the robot, but they were looking at it. So they were very happy with the quality of cut, the driving range looking better every day. And then the year after, we installed them on a fairway, but smaller unit. And then the reaction were so different. Most of the female players loved it because the quality was so great. They loved it. They say, oh, it's like the driving range. And many of the male were like, oh, it's taking everyone's job away and everything. Then they start to see that the quality was really good. So now they actually like it too. The fun fact was everyone was so interested, like, oh, what is that? 
they were all touching the robot. Everybody was flipping the robot, turning on the button and do everything they can, you know? So it was a nightmare for me because the robot were not moving half the time because someone was playing with it. Uh, the solution that I found, I actually put a robot in the driving range and then I put a little information board. Here is the robot, they are electric. If they are doing that, 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 that's normal. Have a look, touch it, do everything you want, but please leave the one in the course alone. It completely solved the problem and everybody is very happy you now. How many fellow course managers in Germany, you know, have you talked to that are using autonomous mowers? You know, how common are they? Because they're still pretty new and there's really not a lot of use yet in uh, in North America. It really depends. Uh, most of the people ask me, it's about um, semi-rough because that's, they are a bit afraid to put them on the fairway. So I would say I know about 20 to 30 person that have uh, any kind of autonomous mower right now. But if you go into fairway, uh, I can use my hand here for the entire Europe. But how many, how many we are with robots on the fairways here? One of the questions that we get a lot of times in the U.S. is quality of cut of robots compared to a traditional five-plex fairway mower. Thinking of some of the, the small hurdles, worm castings, uh, small debris that the robots might run into, what have you seen in terms of your fairway quality and dealing with those types of those issues? Do the robots have any challenges there or are they still producing that same quality of cut that a larger unit would and dealing with those types of issues um, on their own? No, the, so it's a different maintenance. Um, you change the blade about every two weeks. You, you don't sharp them, you just take the screw out, put a new one. It costs like $3 to change a, a set of blades. So you, don't waste your time. You have to do it very regularly because if they get blunt, you will damage all your grass and the robot actually need a day or two to cut with a clean cut again, you know, opposite to a larger mower that will make a clean cut in a matter of minutes. You need a bit to be more proactive to make sure that they don't run dull. And then in terms of what can impact them, devote doesn't seem to be a problem because they are so heavy. The, the mower just retract the blade inside and carry on. Sand will sand and fertilizer will get your blade dull in a matter of day. Warm cast uh, dull your blade a little bit, but there is a big advantage. It's the robot is sweeping the warm cast continuously during the day, and then you have a warm cast free fairway all day long. It is a magic things. You come any time of the day, there is no warm cast because the, the robot have been knocking them out. Well, that's definitely an advantage and one we haven't heard heard of just yet with the, the robots. I mean, the worm casting problems superintendents deal with are, are, are pretty big headaches. So um, because the robot's going out so often, it's kind of preventing worm casts from ever becoming a major issue because it's just constantly um, tackling it. That's really, really interesting. One thing, you know, trying, uh, again, not having been to your course, but looking th looking at it through uh, Google Earth and um, some of the Twitter posts that you've had, it looks like the course has got some undulating fairways. How do the mowers perform on some of those slopes and rolling terrain that you have on the course? So this is the Lynx course. Uh, right now, we don't have a robot running on it, but we did add robot. And we find out that larger units using GPS uh, were not doing a good job. Every time you take a hill, the GPS is going false correction on the left. And then you take a hill on the right, the GPS is going false correction on the right. So you end up with a misgap between uh, lines. Otherwise, we tried with a smaller unit, the Isvarna, using GPS. And because the robot is moving in a chaotic way, which means he's going, you know, like a flipper, left, right, 
top, bottom, left, right again. He's never missing any places in between. That way, actually, where we see the real strength of this kind of robot over larger mower. The design seemed to never be a problem. Yeah, really interesting. Cool. That that's great info to to have. So certainly something that the manufacturers should, you know, I'm sure that's something that they're focused on is how to continue to improve the the accuracy of those larger units. And you can also think a different way. Uh, in 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 the months or two, I, I have got some robots coming again, uh, an extra ten of it, and then we are doing some tests around the greens now, and we have a green surround on the Lynx course that is absolutely extreme. Uh, we are talking at 45 uh, degrees hill next to the green. Right now, we cannot put any mower on that, so we have to fly mow. But of course, you fly mow at a higher high of cut. And then we did the test with a, with a whole-wheel drive little Romba and find out that we can mow that at 10 millimeter now. So we're going to make the course a lot more challenging and a lot more appealing to the golfer because the green surround that were too extreme to be maintained will definitely will be in play now it increase our capacity or capability yeah that's really cool what do you think the next big step is you know what we'll see from a technology standpoint that will convince more course managers to give robots a try uh, oh that's a very good question i think it's the lack of option and lack of competition right now if we think about it there's like three or four available robots that are real good option but they only work in certain scenario so if you got trees you can completely forget any gps mower right now so that only leaves you with a small usvarna that have a cable but then if you don't want cable you have a very limited option as well the main point that will be uh, get more competition and option, of course, and then software with them, because you want the, the integration to be seamless. You don't have to think every day, what is my robot doing this? They should be all completely autonomous, and once you set them, it's good for the week, you know? That's where the, the manufacturer right now have a very difficult time. Yeah, I, I, I certainly agree with the competition. I mean, competition amongst, in any industry, is going to breed more innovation and and that's how we'll see more more advancements in this technology. Um, getting back to your decision around using autonomous mowers at your course, I'm curious, did environmental sustainability, you know, using less fuel, fewer emissions, things like that, did that have a decision in your, your use of autonomous mowers, or was it more so a labor uh, component? Oh, no, that was a definitely a very heavy part of the decision-making. We're trying to go as sustainable as possible. Most of the robot next year will be installed with solar panel as well, so we don't even have to to run electricity on the course. In terms of diesel, you know, I can give you numbers. And last year alone, we actually saved uh, 1,600 gallons of diesel on mowing the fairway. So that's a lot of money and that's a lot of pollution less. So for us, it's a big, big thing to be a bit more uh, sustainable. You know, sort of around the nuts and bolts of, of how this all works. The virtual boundary, the exact positioning operating system, in your experience, I mean, does that require direct contact with an antenna or, you know, talk to me a little bit about sort of how that all works. Right now, every single robot that exists on the market will rely on what's called RTK, so real-time kinetic. Uh, and then, so what they do, they have a base station somewhere in your course that connect to the satellite and triangular your position of the robot by the antenna. Because the antenna is fixed, it's a guarantee that the place is always here. The problem is every brand have a different length with that antenna. If you take a turf links, you speak about a kilometer or two, 
if you speak about the Usvarna, it's a 500 meter maximum. So you need an antenna every hole or two. <laughs> and that's another problem. There is also conversation about what about the trees and everything. And it's a lot more complicated than what people think. We've been doing some tests here uh, with the antenna crossing an entire highland of trees. Like you cannot see through. And the signal was still going through, no problem. The mower was still doing a centimeter accuracy, no problem. So this is a, probably the game changer tech to be in golf because the cable is a big problem for many people. Thinking of the, the tree component, I know that's been something that courses that have used GPS uh, sprayers, for instance, and that RTK system, they've, they've had to try to work around sort of where the trees cause some issues. So thinking about a Parkland course that's tree-lined, I mean, do you, do you see that still, these mowers being a good option for those types of courses? I would say really depend on what trees you have. You really have to have a big coverage of trees. Sure, there's a moment that will be an issue, but again, you really have to have a lot of trees and going over the place where you want to mow. If you want to just mow the fairway, I don't know any golf course that are covered on the fairway with trees. It is not as bad as people think. I would say get a mower and try one time. Yeah, if they have trees overhanging the fairways at a golf course that, that much that it would prevent them from being able to use these mowers, my sense is they probably have some some challenges with, with trees that, you know, shade and root competition that, that they need to address regardless of what mowing equipment they're using. So, but uh, good good insight there. It would be a lie to say there would be no problem, but to be a point where it is a problem, it is much further away than what people think. Yeah. So you mentioned you're, you're going to look to do some testing of greens cutting with uh, robots. So in your career, do you think we'll get to a point where cutting greens and tees and, and maybe even doing things like raking bunkers with robots, do you, do you think we'll ever get to, to that point? Well, that was the ARGX uh, from Cub Caddy. There was a spindle mower with a little roller on the back uh, cutting grease autonomously before they pulled the, the, the plug two years ago. Uh, so the technology exists. It is possible. It's been demonstrated. The only thing is you need someone that have enough money to make such a company, you know, people to invest because then it gets very expensive very quickly. I would say give it five years and then you have two companies offering that technology, I can guarantee you. Uh, Raking Bunker, there is already a company that have a prototype out, Terratronic, in the Netherlands. They have a, a, rake, a bunker rake that is autonomous. But weirdly enough, this is a lot more complicated than cutting greens because greens are uniform across the world. They are somehow flat, very open anyway, and then they all look the same. But bunker, you go from a links to a parkland. Uh, some are very deep, some are very shallow. Some have uh, straight hedges, some they have uh, faces that are going, you know, a meter or two high with sand. The design of the robot is actually a lot more complicated than for a green mower. You're, you're right on. There's so many different types of bunkers. I mean, that's why you already have a lot of courses that they'll use machines for some bunkers and hand rake others because they're, they're so different and they've got such unique challenges. My hope is with the upcoming GCSAA conference that we'll see maybe some some new options from uh, some of the big equipment manufacturers out there. And um, it's got to be on, on their radar, given the labor challenges that so many courses are facing. Yeah, it is. And I would say most of the technology are pretty similar within the equipment. Uh, if you look at what John Deere is achieving right now, they can control a gator, they can control a mower, they can control a greens mower. Driving a bunker rake is easy for them. 
Whereas get harder is to do the task properly. Once they master the first basics, they can translate it to all their machine and do the little uh, detailed job to get it working right. You know, it's a it's a bell curve. It will be very slow at the beginning, and then in the matter of year, they will have all their machine autonomous. You know, one thing that I wanted to ask ask I saw this on your Twitter recently, where I think you had a a mower one of your auto mowers that went into a, a pretty big puddle, and I think you described it that it. After it hit that puddle, it needed surgery. I think this you said it was your first incident that you had in years with uh, kind of a mower misbehaving. So any other any other uh, scenarios where you've had some some challenges with uh, with the mowers? You know whether it's just little things causing damage to an irrigation you know irrigation head or anything else like that. No, we had a, a storm that hit a line one time. So that burned the charging station. I mean, that happens sometimes, lightning strike. I forget a lot to park them when there's uh, snow and frost. So I did damage the grass, but that's me. That one went into the a nice puddle of water, killed every single motor of the machine. But that's the biggest one we had so far. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, it, it's for using so many of them, I mean, you're going to have those types of incidents, obviously, with... Uh... Any type of equipment where if you just, you, you know, someone's distracted or whatever and they hit a debris or something along those lines, that can cause some pretty big damage. So the amount of use you've had, that's pretty impressive. Most of the problem are actually um, uh, human error. Uh, like, you know, me forgetting to park them when there is snow, it's my error. And most of the problem of they will eat something they were not supposed to eat it's because we are not thinking of them at the moment. When you sit in a conventional mower and you mow the fairway and there is a debris, you are instantly thinking mower debris myself. When you are in your office and you are thinking, can I build a big trench in the middle of the fairway for the irrigation? You're not necessarily thinking, should I park the robot first? And it's very easy to forget them because they are always out there. You don't think of them during the day. It's most of the time human error actually. Awesome. Well, Erwin, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today about your use and experience with autonomous mowers. Um, It's going to be a a tremendous help, I think, as courses are looking to really implement these types of practices uh, in, in the near future. So thanks again. It was a pleasure to be here today. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Green Section Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Miller. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast either through Spotify or Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter at USG Green Section and make sure to subscribe to the Green Section Record. It's our free digital publication that's published twice each month and it includes information about golf course maintenance practices, field observations from our team of regional agronomists, and the latest turf grass and environmental research.